0: SECTION 2 of The Exploits and Triumphs in Europe of Paul Morphy, the Chess Champion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Exploits and Triumphs in Europe of Paul Morphy, the Chess Champion. By Frederick Milnes Edge. CHAPTER Two. THE FIRST AMERICAN CHESS CONGRESS A circular was issued by the New York Chess Club in the month of April, 1857, for the purpose of ascertaining the feasibility and propriety of a general assemblage of the chess players resident in America. This met with a hearty and zealous response from the amateurs and clubs of the United States. So favorable was the feeling everywhere manifested that it was deemed advisable to proceed with the undertaking, and to complete at once the preliminary arrangements. In consideration of the movement having been initiated by the New York Chess Club, it was conceded that the meeting should take place in that city. Some of the founders of the New York Chess Club still live to do honor to the game, I believe that Mr. James Thompson and Colonel Meade suckled the bantling in times of yore, sometimes forming the entire of the club without assistance. In that day of small things, I believe, too, they defeated the Norfolk, Virginia club, proving themselves just too, too many for their opponents. Then they traveled about from house to house as their members increased, with the arrival of Mr. Charles H. Stanley, Mr. Frederick Perrin, and others. About 1855 or 1856, the club made the acquisition of two enterprising young players, Mr. Theodore Lichtenhain and Mr. Daniel W. Fiske, and to the latter gentleman is due the credit of first suggesting this chess congress, which made known to fame the genius of Paul Morphy. In the summer of 1857, being then engaged on the New York Herald, I used occasionally to tumble into the basement of an edifice opposite the newspaper office, where a jolly fat German, with a never-to-be-remembered name, regaled his visitors upon sausages and lager. Here the members of the chess club were wont to congregate, for the landlord had provided chessmen and boards as an inducement to visitors. One afternoon, being engaged in a game with a brother reporter, a gentleman, whom I subsequently learned was Mr. Theodore Lichtenhain, stepped up to us, and put into our hands the prospectus of the approaching chess congress, stating his opinion that an event of so much importance merited newspaper publicity. So began my acquaintance with American chess amateurs. Although possessing but little skill as a player, I had a strong liking for the game, and determined that everything in my power should be done to render the meeting successful. My visits to the saloon, and eventually to the club, became frequent, and the committee of management, finding that I both could and would work, did me the honor of appointing me one of the secretaries. The Congress was advertised to open on the 6th of October, but players began to arrive some weeks previously. First of all came Judge Meek of Alabama, a truly imposing specimen of a man. Soon after him followed Mr. Louis Paulson from Dubuque, Iowa, whose astonishing blindfold feats out west were the theme of general talk, and almost total disbelief amongst Eastern players. From Judge Meek we first heard of Paul Morphy's wondrous strength. He told the New York City Club that if the youthful Louisianian entered the tournament, he would infallibly wrest the palm of victory from all competition. We were much afraid, nevertheless, that Mr. Morphy would be unable to quit his legal studies for the purpose of attending the Congress, but when Mr. Fiske announced the receipt of a telegraph despatch which stated that he was en route, everybody hailed the news with satisfaction. Mr. Paulson now came to the support of Judge Meek, and declared that Paul Morphy would carry off the first prize in the tournament, giving, as grounds of his opinion, some two or three published games of the young louisianian which he considered worthy to rank with the finest masterpieces of chess strategy benignant fate brought the young hero safely to new york some two days before the assembling of the congress who that was present that evening does not remember paul morphy's first appearance at the new york chess club the secretary mr frederick perrin valorously offered to be his first antagonist and presented about the same resistance as a mosquito to an avalanche. Then who should enter the room but warrior Stanley, a tomahawk in one hand, and the scalps of Shulton and Rousseau in the other? Loud cries were made for, Stanley! Stanley! And Mr. Perrin resigned his seat to the newcomer, in deference to so general a request. Thus commenced a contest, or rather a succession of contests, in which Mr. Stanley was indeed astonished mate followed upon mate until he arose from his chair in bewildered defeat the following day the assembled delegates and amateurs from the various clubs organized the congress by election of a president in the person of judge meek with mr fiske as secretary four assistant secretaries marshal treasurer etc All these matters of detail, as well as the games played, the laws passed, etc., etc., will eventually appear in the long-looked-for Book of the Congress, forthcoming with the completion of the British Museum catalogue. In the absence of the Book of Congress, I must give a slight sketch of its proceedings, in order to trace the career of Paul Morphy, ab initio after taking possession of the magnificent hall which the new york committee of management had chosen for the meeting the sixteen contestants in the grand tournament proceeded to pair themselves off by lot never was fate more propitious than on this occasion in coupling the antagonists it is obvious that however apparently equal in strength two opponents may be one will prove stronger than the other this is an axiom requiring no proof Out of sixteen, one is better than the rest, and one out of the remaining fifteen is stronger than the fourteen others. The latter player may be drawn in the first round of the tournay with the former, and though he stand incomparably the superior of all but one, he loses every chance of a prize by being put immediately hors du combat. Amongst the sixteen players who entered the lists, two were unmistakably the strongest namely, Mr. Morphy and Paulson, and much fear was manifested lest they might be drawn together in the first round. Such, however, was not the case. Mr. Paulson was coupled with Mr. Dennis Julian, the well-known problem-maker, and a gentleman whose hospitality to chess players scarcely requires praise from me. Mr. Julian allowed his name to be entered in the grand tournament in the absence of the representative of Connecticut, Mr. S. R. Calthrop, but the latter player arriving shortly after mr julian was but too happy to resign in his favour mr morphy's antagonist was mr james thompson of new york a gentleman who finished his chess education at the Cafe de la regence and the london chess divan noted for the brilliancy and daring of his attack and his pertinacity in playing the evans gambit wherever he has a chance if mr thompson had not been pitted against such a terrible opponent in the first round he would have tested the powers of some of the other players mr morphy's second opponent was judge meek as they took their seats opposite each other one thought of david and goliath not that the judge gasconaded in any wise after the fashion of the tall philistine for modesty adorns all his actions But there was much difference in cubic contents between the two antagonists, as between the son of Jesse and the bully of Gath, and in both cases the little one came out biggest. Judge Meek sat down with an evident conviction of the result, and although he assured his youthful opponent that if he continued mating him without ever allowing him the least chance, he would put him in his pocket, he consoled himself with the reflection that Paul Morphy would serve everybody else as he served him hitherto our hero had won every game in the third round he encountered the strongest player of the new york club mr theodore lichtenhain a gentleman who had formerly been president of the circle des echecs at coinsburg in prussia and an admirable exponent of the berlin school of play mr lichtenhain eventually carried off the third prize in the tournament and although he did not win any game from mr morphy he succeeded in effecting a draw, which, against such a terrible enemy, is almost worthy of being esteemed a victory. Mr. Paulson had also been successful in the first and second rounds without losing or drawing a single game, and, as if to keep even with his great rival, he too made a draw in the third section of the tournament, with Dr. Raphael of Kentucky. Now is to be decided the championship of the New World, and notwithstanding that the majority anticipated the result, yet many of the spectators thought that the western knight might prove a hard nut for Morphy to crack. Mr. Paulson's game is steady and analytical to a nicety. Modelling his operations on profound acquaintance with Philidor, he makes as much out of his pawns as most others of their pieces. In reply to Monsieur de Riviera, I once heard Morphy say, Mr. Paulson never makes an oversight i sometimes do it is only justice to mr paulson to state that he never for one moment imagined that he would beat mr morphy so exalted was his appreciation of the latter's wondrous powers of combination that he has been frequently heard to declare if anderson and staunton were here they would stand no chance with paul morphy and he would beat philidor and labordonnais too if they were alive and when after the termination of the congress mr morphy offered pawn and move to all and every player in america mr paulson declared that he could easily give those odds to him but this invariable confession of inferiority did not at all interfere with his doing the utmost to become victor although supremacy was only to be decided by one player scoring five games if i recollect rightly it was in the third game that mr morphy committed an error which spoiled one of the finest combinations ever seen on a chessboard. This combination consisted of some eighteen or twenty moves, and its starting point was one of those daring sacrifices which European players dignify with the title Allomorphy. Certain of the inevitable result, Humanum est erroret, almost loses its signification when applied to his combinations, our hero played rapidly and misplaced a move the result was loss of attack and a piece and apparently of the game the most ardent admirer of paul morphy believed it was impossible for him to avoid defeat but though angry with himself for his carelessness he was not disheartened but set to work with courage and effected a draw the latter part of this game is a masterpiece of perseverance and strategy the result of the tournament is well known mr morphy won five games drew one and lost one in the concluding section, only one battle lost during the entire campaign. The annals of chess do not furnish a similar victory. End of section two.